0: Welcome to Season 4 of the Do More Good Podcast.
1: you to the Do More Good Podcast. The Do More Good Podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good
0: Podcast. Do More Good do more do
1: more good podcast do
0: more good podcast that's what you
1: want me to say you're listening to the do more good podcast
0: live from a cafe in central london this is your 14th favorite social good show the do more good podcast what was room for improvement jimbo Here we are, James, episode number 55 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Kenneth. I'm good. Yeah, not too bad. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm,
2: I'm surprisingly well. It's a, it's a Thursday evening, V day tomorrow. Uh, sun is shining. Got a beer on the go. So yeah, I'm okay, thank yeah. you. Surviving. You've
0: also got, I have noticed just there, you've got some very posh crisps. What have you got there?
2: Oh, the posh crisps that suddenly got stolen by my daughter. The Quaso Blanco lemon and drop chili flavour. I mean, I mean, you know. That
0: is, <laughs> that is Wait- Premier League crisps, there. It's not your sort of vinegar, is it? That, you know. Your Metropolitan Elite level of crisps.
2: <laughs> Waitrose finest, obviously, darling. Um. Oh. But yeah, you know we're not spending any money on anything else, so we can, you know, we can up our crisp game at the moment, which is. Which
0: and you're obviously getting your essentials delivered there. Your artisan crisps getting delivered to your door. Exactly, exactly. Sod the
2: fruit and vegetables. Who needs them? Overrated. But yes, no, we're all right. We're all right. It's been a it's been a busy couple of weeks, and you know lots going on as as we've just been been, been touching on. But great to see the 2.6 challenge, Jimbo. Did you did you get involved?
0: Oh, it. I was I was all over it, taking the kids up to the park to two point. Well, actually, I think we did three laps in the end. They were so excited, but yeah, it was good, wasn't it? It went really well. We've we seen amazing income from it, so yeah, all good. Yeah, it definitely seemed to, to to go well. We
2: we enjoyed it as a family. It was great. I mean, you know, the twenty sixth of April, there was a bit of gap in there with, with not being in in London and kind of running around all day. But you know, it was it was great to see kind of that feel good factor. You know, I think you could see it on social media. You turned on the telly, it was on, it was on the TV, it was on the news. You know, people donating and, and supporting hundreds or thousands of different charities. So, yeah, all in all, a, a great day. And hopefully by the time this goes out, it would have passed £10 million. So, yeah. absolutely amazing. Well, I, sh-
0: I know that you, um, you and, uh, and Hugh and the team like to think of yourselves as the owners of maybe the 2.6 Challenge. But it was, it was yours truly who you got invited onto the breakfast sofa to talk about it. <laughs>
2: Well, no, we don't like to think of us the owners, actually. We were, there was a number of different parties involved. But yeah, you managed to get onto BBC Breakfast News.
0: How did you manage that one? Well, um, they just called me up on a Sunday night and said, what are you doing tomorrow? It was just a casual six, six million viewers, so pretty easy for us, bearing in mind the, the do-more-good audience that we usually see. <laughs> so <laughs> I was terrified, absolutely yeah. terrified beforehand. You did really well, though.
2: It was good. It was good to do. Yeah, you didn't make too many (laughs) (laughs) cock-ups. What else have you been up to? But yeah, no, well, what have I been up to? Sitting at home, sitting at this desk for a while, but yeah, just... just... Been pressured into any purchases? Oh, oh, the the, the pressure's mounting on, on getting a pet, pet dog that my wife and and children seem to be becoming quickly obsessed with. Obviously we have to take into consideration social, social distancing. And is this the right time? But yeah, when you see the price of a dog, two and a half thousand pounds for a puppy,
0: I was like, wow. But uh, yeah, we know what your taste is like. You're not talking about a ready salted dog, are you? You're after a a pedigree, thyme and ginger flavoured crisps dog, aren't you? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. What about yourself? I'm prepping for a weekend of quizzes. I've got two, because we don't do enough video calls during the week, now I've got two this weekend. So just hours and hours spent on a video call. Oh, my um, God. I've got to do some questions for mine. So. What's, your, what's your specialist subject? Well, I, I have prepped 10 questions around the 1986 Academy Award-winning blockbuster, Top Gun. Hmm, very impressive. Yeah. Very... Maybe I'll, I'll fire some of, some of those at you guys a bit later on. But how about you? What would your specialist subject be? Oh,
2: God. I think it'd have to be Newcastle United. The glory years, you know, we'll start off with 1994 to 1996. And then we maybe start into the proper glory years. 2022 to 2056. <laughs> <laughs> or, well, depending on what happens when the Premier League get hold of our current takeover bid. But
0: well, it, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Anyway, look, let, let, let's crack on. Our guest is patiently waiting there as we ramble on. So, apologies for that, but we'll, we'll jump straight into it. So, we're really pleased to have a fantastic guest join us this week in our new virtual world. And, and you know, we will apologize for the sound quality because we, we're recording this over Zoom and we, we normally do this face to face. But actually, by doing this virtually, it's allowing us to, to, to speak to people like our guests. So, that's, that's really a positive. So, I first met our guest this week in uh, March 2015. When I started my first job as a fundraiser uh, and had the privilege of working with him and his team uh, on the partnership between Alzheimer's Research UK and and with Parkrun, which was really exciting. And so he started his Parkrun journey in 2007 and when working as a lecturer in sport and exercise science at the University of Leeds. And then he helped set up Woodhouse Moor Parkrun. And at that time, it was the fourth Parkrun in the world and the first outside of London. And then in 2011, he then left the university to work full-time for Parkrun, helping launch UK events, and is now the Chief Operating Officer of Parkrun Global, responsible for global development strategy and all the operational processes uh, across existing Parkrun territories. So when he's not busy supporting you know, the 3 million-plus Parkrunners there are out there and the event directors across more than 20 countries, he's also a fellow podcaster, co-hosting the hugely successful and number one running podcast, Marathon Talk, with Martin Yelling. And the podcast has had more than 5 million downloads. And with the support of a dedicated team, they continue to put out a brilliant show every week. So please do go and check that one out. And so we're really pleased to welcome Tom Williams to the Do
1: More Good podcast. Tom, how are you doing? I'm very good. I'm very impressed with your radio voice, which I've not heard, Kenneth. I've (laughs) I've, I've known you in a professional capacity for five years and we had a big chat beforehand and you sounded normal and then when we started recording you s- just snapped into this like proper radio to breakfast show persona it was fantastic
2: well what i did tom is i yes. followed your i followed your guidance on on and, and it said everything about being a podcaster is to exaggerate every every, every word and phrase so yeah. I, i'm i'm trying to 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 live that
1: yeah, very good. I'm, I'm very impressed and I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely uh, honoured to be asked on the show and, and, you know, I know I've spent years asking people to come and chat to, chat to Martin and I on our, our little podcast and, and you know, I've really appreciated it when people have kind of given their time to come along and share some, some stories and some thoughts. So it's great to be able to kind of return those favours and do the same back.
2: Brilliant. Well, look, we do appreciate your time, Tom. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a crazy time and, you know, we'll be putting this out in the, in the next week or so. How, how's the Williams family handling the whole pandemic of, of coronavirus? Well, we're, like, we're
1: having a great time. <laughs> it's, um, and I, I really understand the challenges around the world. And it's, it's a, a tra- tragic situation. You know, for me, I, I think I really, really worry about the, the children not being allowed to play with each other. I think of all the many things, and there are many, many, many things that are... That are kind of resulting from the situation we're in i I really genuinely worry about that our two we're lucky our two are relatively close in age that we've got a five year old son and an eight year old daughter They get on three quarters of the time <laughs> um, but they've got each other and we've got a lovely garden and and the sun's shining and we li- we live in a lovely town and we're really really fortunate and so for our personal circumstance we're really lucky and you know you, you won't hear me complaining for a second about our situation and but i uh, you know it's a difficult place. So yeah, it's a funny kind of juxtaposition. I mean, we're, I think the interesting thing for us and with a part, we've been thinking about it an awful lot and we have 2,100 events in 22 countries. And the really interesting thing is, well, there was three things that we, we kind of thought were important about the, the situation we're all in. One is it's developing so quickly. It's not, it's hour by hour that things change, you know, things get better, things get worse. This happens, that happens every hour. It's, it's we've never seen anything like it it's impacting everybody in the entire world in some way, which again, I can't think of other examples where everybody in the world has been impacted. And really interestingly, it impacts everybody in a completely different way. So some people are having a great time playing Xbox online to their mates. You know, I've got some, some friends, sons who are kind of late teenagers are having the time of their life, you know, and some people our next door neighbors here are, are in their eighties and, 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 and need, you know, care and support and help and their family and friends can't come and see them. And, you know, we spend our lives going around there. Our kids would go through and go through their kitchen door. And the first thing you would see is our kids looking out of their bedroom window and Rosie coming down their stairs in their jewelry and, you know, really lovely kind of interactive. They're not grandparents for our kids, but they're as close as really. And you, you can't do that. So we, you know, it's a, we're, there's a two inch garden fence between us and for them, it's it's really isolating their quality of life is low to worse. We're all doing all we can, but it's really impacted them badly. And the other side of a garden fence, we're more time together. We walk with the kids every day. I read to the kids every day. I've got, I'm not commuting 10 hours a week. So it's, it's, a, it's a funny old situation, isn't it?
2: Yeah, we've, I was looking out in the garden. So I have, <clears throat> my setup is my – I'm actually in the lounge. My wife is in the, the kitchen diner, and the kids have kind of got the back room. So I get to look out in the garden. But this afternoon, the kids had found a load of snails in the garden and they were playing Ninja Warrior uh, with these sweat <laughs> snails. So actually, if I look out now, I can see like the little course that they got. But you know what? It just kept them entertained for two hours. They yeah. were loving it. They were interacting. I mean, it will be interesting. I know you, you touched on it there about the relationships with other people. I think that's the one thing that I do worry about. But actually, the relationships and the deep rooted relationships they're going to have with each other after this. You know, I think they're gonna gonna remember it. Yeah,
1: yeah. R two had a sleepover last night where, where they've got separate bedrooms and he went and slept under her bunk bed. She's only got it's a one bed with like a like a just a hole underneath and he slept in the hole underneath her bed. <laughs> and you know they loved it. You know, so so you know the kids are great, aren't they? And hopefully by the time this podcast goes out, hopefully the government may have announced a little bit of relaxation around the restrictions for kids. Mm-hmm. So so you know, I'm an only child. I would really when I was a kid, this would have been difficult for me. You yeah. know, not playing with another child at all. God, I think that's that's challenging.
0: Yeah. The kids are adaptable, aren't they? They they just amazingly fit so. Yeah. Into, I mean, as long as Offsted don't turn up here and check out the uh, level of bullying, <laughs>
1: <God, laughs>
0: um, we'll be okay. Yeah. To to get us back to to park run, mm-hmm. could, you, could you take us back to perhaps you at uh, working at the university and thinking about setting up your first. Park run. Were you were you a runner at the time? Uh, were you were you more into other aspects of the uni life, or um, yeah, how did it start so, for you?
1: Yeah, it was really interesting, and and like, I think like so many things in life, so many of the best things in life, you you, you tend to start them for, for no, you don't have a long term strategy, you don't have a long term goal, you're not really thinking about it. You you think, oh, this would be a good fun thing to do today. I'll do this today, and and that's it. And so I was. It 2007, so I was a fairly competitive Ironman triathlete, marathon runner, training pretty seriously, as a and also a full-time lecturer in sport and exercise science at the University of Leeds. My wife, Helen, was also a pretty competitive Ironman triathlete at the time, um, and she was probably, at then, she was probably the staff photographer at ITV, so we both had fairly busy jobs, jobs we kind of enjoyed. And we were really into our, our kind of athletic training, didn't have kids. So we had a million hours a day. <laughs> um, and it's interesting cause it, it had been, and, and nothing about part run is my idea. Right. So, I, I, you know, it, it was entirely important to knew its idea. And I'd seen, it's funny how these things happen. I'd seen, I think it was a monthly 5k by I think Serpentine running club in London which was something like a monthly 5K and it was a pound or 50p or something. And I remember seeing it advertised in Runner's World or somewhere like that and thinking, that's really good. I really like that idea. I wonder if we could do something like that. I wonder if we could copy that up here in Leeds. And it was just mulling over in the back of my head. And then, you know, a period of time later, probably only weeks or a few months later, I was flicking through Runner's World again and saw uh, an advertisement for the Bushy Part Time Trial, as it was called then, now Bushy Part Run. And the second I saw that, and I think the, the, the kind of the inspiration was already sitting in my head a little bit, having seen the Serpentine thing. And as soon as I saw what Paul was doing in Bushy, like, like thousands and thousands of other people have done before and since, I thought, oh my word, that's just amazing. This concept of people coming together of all abilities for free every single week, forever, come rain or shine, even Christmas Day and New Year's Day, which it was already doing mm-hmm. then. It just instantly struck me as this incredible thing, just regardless of anything else. I just looked at it and thought, wow, that's amazing. How can we make it happen? But at the time, they were part of or UK time trials, they were then weren't saying we'd like to grow or anything like that. I had a busy job. I was competing as a triathlete. So I didn't really have space in my life particularly. And I didn't know how I would get volunteers. The you know The volunteer model wasn't so so out there really so it was just in the back of my head and i can't remember how long that was for but it was probably for a few weeks or a couple of months or something and then in the around about the summer of 2007 um i got called to a meeting at the university of leeds and the meeting was with the Sport and Physical Activity Department. So I was representing the Sport, sport and Exercise Science Academic Department and there were representatives and good friends of mine, Paul Tilly, who's now the Director of Sport at Portsmouth University, Stuart Ross, who was the Director of Sport at Leeds then and, and is now at Leeds Uni and a woman called Sue Jacqueline and a few other people. And I got called to this meeting and in the back of my heart, head, independently of this, I'm thinking, I wonder how we could copy the bushy part-time trial. Isn't it a brilliant thing? How could we do it? I don't know. And I go into this meeting and, and the... The, the, they said, right, okay, what we'd like to talk about today is how can we engage the students of the University of Leeds with the local community around volunteering and sport? Totally in the, uh, unknowing that I've got this thing in, my back, in the back of my head, how can we make Bushy part-time show happen here? And, of course, instantly it was just this, well, problem, answer. Oh, I can't believe it. So I kind of, you know, stepped my hand in the air and said, look, there's this guy in London doing this thing, I think it'd be great. Perhaps we could do it at the university, and we could the students could be the volunteers because there was a volunteering component of the sport and exercise science degree. So they were kind of students were meant to volunteer doing things in the community. So in uh, thankfully, the Stew um, and Sue Jacqueline and the people and Paul and people at the university were super enthusiastic. And so within probably 10 minutes, everybody, I mean, everybody said, great, fantastic, let's do it. Students come back in October. This was probably July or something. Students come back in October. Let's do it then. And so we drove down to London, Paul Tilly and I drove down to London, met Paul Stanton Hewitt in, in his house. Just and, and we'd kind of gone down for, we'd rang him up and said, you know, we'd like to copy what you're doing, expecting him to say, naff off. <laughs> um, and he said brilliant join the family come down I'll teach I'll give you all the equipment you need for nothing I'll teach you I'll train you I'll show you how to do it we'll give you website space all for absolutely nothing forever and you know you think this is just like a weird cult thing so we went down (laughs) and, and met him and we just came back I think with a laptop and a bucket load of inspiration and thought This is amazing. And I wrote it into the sports science course. The students had, the year two students had to volunteer twice. And there was 140 of them. So that's 280 volunteering instances. They had to volunteer twice every year or they wouldn't get their degree. (laughs) So we wrote that into the course. So we had the volunteers at the stroke of a pen. And it started on Park Run's third birthday on the first Saturday of October 2007. And I genuinely thought, that's that's me done. I've started this, what was then called... um, Hyde Park time trial because Woodhouse Moor in Leeds is also sometimes called Hyde Park. Hyde Park time trial started on on that day. Students were in, job done. I, a bit like when I ran my first marathon in 1999 and thought, "That's it, I'll never run another step," uh, and went on to do some other things. Um, then I thought, "That's it, we started the park run or the time trial as it was then." That's me done, and I never thought I'd have any more involvement other than turning up the old Saturday.
2: At the time, was Paul already looking at taking? the concept outside of London, or was it just, it, you know, as you were talking then, it very much sounded right time, right place, right idea for you. You know, it all kind of, it was, it was all meant to be. But was Paul already thinking about, okay, I can take this on to other places, people can, or was this kind of the start he, of
1: it? Yeah, no, no, he definitely was. And I think, and I've, I've had this conversation with him a, a lot over the last 13 years, and I think when he started it, he wanted... I'm kind of speaking for him here, but I've heard the story enough times. I'm sure it's right. <laughs> when he started it, he really just wanted this event in his local park in Bushy park. And what people forget and what we often tell people who are trying to set up new projects and things is that it took two and a half years for number two, event number two to come along. And we started event number four on year third birthday. So, you know, if you were a project saying we want 2000 events in 22 countries, be patient at the beginning. Cause Paul was right. And he just wanted an event in his own little park. And it got busier and so he started another one nearby just because his one was a bit busier and he thought it would make it quieter which it didn't but nevertheless he (laughs) started another one and then he started another one and I think his earliest thoughts were wouldn't it be great if these were all over the place but actually I think his 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 culture his headspace his values were it should be kind of open sourced and everybody can kind of do sort of what they want with this concept. Mm. And I think when I first met him in summer of 2007, he said to me, wouldn't it be great if there was a park run or a time trial in every town in the world? And he very much brought us on board and said, you must do it like this. So somewhere between his earliest thoughts of there'll only be one, and then actually it would be good if they were all around the world but actually, I'd just like to let people do it the way they want to do it. He came to the conclusion that the only way to successfully develop around the world for no other reason than it's a really good thing so it's it's why do we want to expand as part run? We want to expand for the sole reason that we know part run events fundamentally change the fabric of a community in a positive way, so the more they are, the more communities have been changed and so somewhere between his first thoughts of wouldn't it be good if everybody did it their own way to to us coming along in 2007 his mindset had changed to the way for that to be successful is for a more centralized model where you sit on the same website you observe the same rules you have the same timing systems the same result systems the same registration process so I'm 6014 6013 6014 I'm 6013 my <laughs> wife 6014 but he didn't think of the unique ID until about 2,000 people. So the first 2,000 or so part runner IDs are alphabetical order, actually, because it wasn't until they'd got about 2,000 people registered where they thought, hang on, let's give everybody a unique identifier. From about 2,000 and something onwards, it's chronological. So I am the 6,013th person, and we're nearly 7 million. Uh, The pandemic has probably stopped us hitting 7 7 million already, but it'll be 7 million hopefully by the end of the year if we all come back.
0: So there you were, you'd, you'd set up uh, your event, you'd tick that one off, you'd done that, you got that out of your head. Uh, presumably you were something of teacher's pet in the office because you'd, you'd married those two problems up, sorted that one out. What was it that made you, what was it that then you know, made you take the next? Step or was it the fact that you know, did students just hound you out because you'd, you'd got them out of bed on a Saturday morning?
1: <laughs> well, look, we learned some wonderful things about the students actually. So, I had a really good relationship with the students, and I remember telling them, I vividly remember the day I went into a lecture and I said, Right, you lot, you've all got to volunteer twice this year at this thing on a Saturday morning. I want you there at eight o'clock. And they all booed, like jokingly, but probably boo. And, 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 and actually, over the course of the, I was at the university for another three years, and at the course of those three years, they never let us down. They always turned up. They did incredible things. Often they, hadn't, they came straight from their night out on a Friday night in uh, their going out yes. here, having not been home <laughs> in the winter, like in smart trousers and slip-on shoes and a tight shirt. And it's like January and they've turned up and still got there at eight o'clock. They were never late they they'd volunteer they'd clap they'd cheer they'd come for coffee afterwards and and so it was this amazing thing and they all had it on their cvs that they'd volunteered and some of them did dissertations on it so it was this amazing amazing journey really for for the students and and for me as a as a kind of hopefully a sort of a mentor to them but increasingly as new events were starting in the north and remember at that point there were three events in in west london and us that was the entire global park run map And very quickly, very, very quickly, other events came. And if you look at the first 10 events, I think within the 10, I think Pollock Park run in Scotland is in the top 10. I think Cardiff Park run is in in the top 10 events that started. I can't remember where Edinburgh is. I think it probably isn't. But I think we were in Manchester. We were in Middlesbrough. We were in Brighton, Basingstoke, all within those first 10. So it kind of went West London, West London, West London, boom, around the country and really spread out. And I think... Anything there? Anytime there's anything up north, I was I kind of I got the sort of phone call. Would you go and look at their course? Would you help them? Some of the early ones like Bradford Park Run in uh, Lister Park in Bradford, and so on, Sheffield Hallam Park Run in Sheffield. I, I'd kind of get the call just as a local person who'd set up this park run. Can you help? And that so kind of I was an early ambassador before we had the ambassador program, and th- and then that was it really. And it, it got to 2010, this January 2010, and. I was, I've was. i always wanted to really make a difference. I've always really wanted to impact as many people as I can in a really positive way. And increasingly, my role at the university was my contact time with the students was going down, and my office-based work was going up, and I was, I was feeling a bit kind of shackled in terms of my ability to impact individuals, my ability to impact people. And I wanted, always wanted to do that at scale. And so I'd kind of in, in January, 2010, my contract at the university was due to be renewed in September. And I just said to the, to the, my boss at the time, I said, look, I've had a great time here. I've been here for, I went there in 2006. I've been there for three and three or four years. And I I said, look, I'm I'm not going to renew my contract in, in October. And I, I put myself in that position because I knew I would have renewed it if I'd waited till October. Yeah. When the pressure came, <laughs> how are we going to pay the bills or whatever, I'd have bottled it and renewed it for another year, never made the jump. So when I was in a comfortable position in the January, I said, look, I'm committing, I'm not going to renew my contract. And so I think I, my contract ran out, ran out, I think, in the, in the end of August at, at 2010. And in the interim, I just said to Paul, since I knew it, I said, look, I'm, my contract's running out. I've committed to not renewing it. We've got no kids and a small mortgage at the time, and Helen, and my wife, had a full-time job that that we could survive on. So I said, you know, I'll be a free agent full time from, well, actually, really, from May or June when the when the term ends, as it were. Um, I'll volunteer for part run full time for nothing, and we'll see where it goes. And if and if I need to get a job at some point, I'll go and get a job. And and if I if something happens in part run, something happens in part run, and I, and I get a job and. Either fine, but I know I'm going to be free and I'd like to volunteer full time. So I started kind of around the summer of 2010. I started volunteering pretty much full time for Park Run, And then by January 2011, I started working for Park Run as a northern events activator. So actually, that was a job for me then, mm. traveling around the north of England um, and beyond a little bit, um, helping events to get going. Wow. Mm.
2: What a great start. And I guess, Tom, the question that comes out of that is is how has it changed now, you know, 13 years on, as you say, you know, mm. from going out and setting up those earlier park runs and measuring courses and, and being right at the start of this, what similarities are there or what's continued right the way through your journey to kind of, you know, wow. the day that you've just had today?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's a brilliant question and there's, there's, it's, a, it's kind of a two-parter. So as, as an organisation, we've changed Beyond recognition, and you know, Kenneth, you've kind of had some behind-the-scenes experience of that with the with the stuff we've done in, in your previous life with Alzheimer's Research UK, and we still have a partnership with London Marathon. But taking it back a step, I've always once I took a position of leadership in Part Run. So I was the country manager for Part Run UK in 2012, as Paul started trying focusing on the rest of the world, and I was managing director of Part Run UK the entire entity from 2013 and and when i took on those roles where i felt i've got quite a an important privileged position of leadership here what is my what's my benchmark like how do i how do i judge success you know i'm i'm a big fan of the of um... Clive Woodward's book Winning and I, the thing I like about it is he spends time defining what success is and it isn't just more points on the board than the other team I think he outlined seven things and one of them is more points on the board but there are things like 75,000 people standing up and going crazy is a, is, a, is one of his definitions of if, if that's not happening you're not winning even if you've got the score right and, and so really very, very early on in my journey I tried to define to myself what is my benchmark for winning and, and my... My benchmark was to try and and keep the Parkrun operating model and how we do what we do as close as humanly possible to my first experience, which was August two thousand and seven at Bushy Park, where I turned up and it's what I, you know what I had called jumpers for goalposts. So I was a, a triathlete competing at like a European Ironman Championships with fireworks and bells and whistles and and all that kind of stuff. I turn up at Bushy Park and it's put your bag by the tree, run a lap of the park start by the tree, finish by the tree. It's it's so simple. Turn up unannounced, just turn up and run, get your result afterwards. And so I tried, that's always been in my head as I'm succeeding if I'm really close to that model. And so if your experience as part runner, a 7 million, when we come back in Cape Town or in San Francisco or in Siberia or wherever it might be, if your experience is pretty close to My experience in the summer of 2007, then that's an element of our success, and I and I hope that's not really changed. You know what? As you were talking there
2: at the start, I wrote down the word family, and I think that's kind of one of my memories of, you know, working with you guys and the team. And I remember being quite, God, I'd heard a park run when we first started that partnership in what was it, 2015, but not really understanding it. But then very quickly feeling feeling like part of the team and. And that kind of family ethos seems to continue through everything that you see associated with a partner, whether it's a volunteer Absolutely. team on the, on the ground, back and forth that you guys have at head office on, on Twitter. You know, it just feels like it's a family. <laughs> we'll not go there. But yeah, that seems to certainly... Ha- so I guess the question is that, is, is that just developed? Has that just happened? Or have you had to, as an organisation, mould and work with and direct That, that, that require that not requirement, but that, that feeling, that feeling of togetherness and family.
1: I think, I think that feeling of togetherness just happens if you put the right things in place. And so, where, so people often ask, why is part run successful? And and I believe part run is successful because human beings, all human beings all around the world, have an innate need to be active and to be outdoors and to be social. And I think I think that's fundamentally in all of us. And I, you know, I've worked in gyms and big gym chains in previous life as a personal trainer and stuff, where you see people on their own on a treadmill at midnight in a gym, miserable and unhealthy. And that's not a criticism of them. But that sounds think, like
2: James's garage on a on a, on a Tuesday night, isn't yes. it, James? <laughs>
1: <Pretty> <laughs> well, yes, that's pretty much. Me. During, yeah. during lockdown. <laughs> but but I think I think I've really seen. From my experience in life, I really think those things are fundamental things that humans need to survive. And it might be that we can keep humans alive without those things, but I think in order to tr- to achieve true health and well being, I'm pretty, now it, some. I mean, I'm quite an introvert. Some people are extroverts. So what what social means, for example, is different to the different people. I'm not saying we should all be engaging in the fancy dress, something I can't stand, for example, but i think everybody has that and i think by creating a framework that allows that to happen it just happens so we just try and keep things as simple as possible and you know a huge part of our role is saying to teams don't do that don't do that don't it, it's not making it better we let's not use chip timing let's not do this let's not do this because the human i think another part of a human habit is to try and iterate and try and improve you know, and I was thinking, it's funny because I was, we just on a complete tangent, um, we bought, we've got a Sonos speaker at home. I had a Sonos one, like the basic Sonos speaker. And I hadn't really thought how long we'd had it, we had it for years, but we bought another one the other day, so we've got two. And they're almost identical. And Sonos speakers are amazing things. They just work really well. And they do, and it's not, I've got no connections with them, by the way, I'm not sponsored by them. They just work really, really well. well yeah and no and you put the two together and you can barely tell the difference and this is, we're talking about technology which which grows so fast you know you put a phone of now against a phone of 8 years ago you wouldn't recognize it and i looked at them this is only last week i looked at them and i thought my word they're almost identical and that's a piece of technology 8 years of development you can barely tell the difference and they work perfectly together and i thought that's like us like what they've seen is they've created a in invertcom's perfect product they 've not felt the need to massively change it they 've kept it the same because it works really well, and I feel like we 've tried to do the same with part run. It worked really well on October the second, two thousand and four so we we try as hard as we can to not change it because it 's perfect as it is um, and and I think so that that human the family you talk about there you're absolutely right, and we see incredible just the most incredible moving aspects of family around part run in the broadest sense of the word Mm. but that just happens we don't instigate that all we do is is create an environment where that's the default because i do and paul says this a lot i think the default in pretty much everybody is to do good things and to be part of a community and to be friends and have friendship and love each other and all those lovely things. I do genuinely believe that's the default. If you create an environment for it, most people will default to that. And it's, it's so, I, so I don't think we take any credit for it other than understanding, Oh, look, if you do this, this happens. It's really,
0: in, I think that the chip timing is a really interesting thing to have focused on because it feels mm. like as you see organizations or companies develop they would get slicker and more complicated if you look at the the complexities of amazon for example being you know where they've gone to whereas to hold on to that culture actually removing barriers like having to find chip timing has meant that it's felt human and it's felt authentic and anyone can set them up and yet you still manage to maintain a really strong brand anyone turning up anywhere in the world you could you have your visitors and you could go to yes. any part anywhere else it would feel exactly the same that yes. Really nice warm feeling that you have at your you know that I and, have but, and it's
1: because of that so you see so it's because of that not not despite that it, and and so yeah. a, an example is i was in a part run in south africa many years ago my dad's south african and he was living in johannesburg and we went to delta park run And there's about 600 people and we ran and we finished and we're having a coffee at the end and the tokens are in a big pile. And so my dad sits down with two other people and they have a coffee and they sort the tokens and it takes them whatever it is an hour to sort tokens. And my dad, who is this professor who tries to kind of make everything better and and fix things and change the world, he says to me, "Can't, can't you automate that? Like that's just taken three people an hour. I mean, it probably didn't take an hour, but three people an hour. So that's three hours of work you could probably automate that quite easily, couldn't you? And I said, yeah, but dad, you wouldn't have met those two people. So why do I want to automate out you meeting those two people? Because next week when I'm not here, they'll say, all right, Brian, how are you? And you'll have a conversation with them because they're now your friends and you've become friends over that shared activity. So that's the last thing that will go from part run because that's that is the glue that holds it all together and of course when you look at numerous organizations have tried to copy part run around the world in many many countries um, often with budgets with multiple zeros more than we have (laughs) and that's the fundamental mistake they always make is they always try and technologize the human interaction out of it and for something like london marathon of course it's it's Critical and important, and you couldn't do the London Marathon on a little iPhone app timer with you know 50,000 people or whatever it is. But for a little community event, you must use technology to increase human participation, human interaction, not reduce it. And that then holds everything together.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So, whilst Kenneth is off getting the drinks in. I'll just remind you that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Do more Good Pod, or take a look at the website, domoregood.uk, which is where you can sign up for the Do More Good newsletter, a reminder about new episodes, news on our latest plans, and perhaps some VIP content. Now, I'm a big fan of the like, whereas Kenneth is more of a retweet kind of guy. Either way, we'd love to hear from you with thoughts, suggestions, reviews, or just to let us know you got home okay. Anyway, he's on his way back now.
2: I'd like Love to it. just look ahead, Tom. I mean, I appreciate that, the, you know, the time that we're in is obviously unprecedented. And, you know, we've all talked enough about that over the se- last seven or eight weeks. But I had an interesting conversation this week with someone and, and it raised a valid point. And I said, I was talking to you this week. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll raise that with Tom. And, and they said that the, the influx in people getting out and running during this situation, the people that have been introduced to physical exercise, the people that have seen it on the TV, the people that have seen the 2.6 challenge that we spoke about at the start, the fact that we've had our children out once a day to educate, that focused hour that we've had each day has actually made exercise almost cool again. I mean, I know it's been cool, mm. but, you know, really accessible. It's almost like a government initiative, like to get out and exercise once a day, but it doesn't feel like the government have told us to do that. Yes, And, and, and the point that this person I was speaking to made, said, I, I imagine there's going to be an influx of, you know, people taking on 5Ks and 10Ks and, and part runs going to get, get overwhelmed. What, what thoughts have you guys had in, internally about what potentially could mm. happen at the end of this?
1: So, so look, we talk about that an awful lot. And I think, and this is just my opinion for what yeah. it's worth. I think lots of people are lots more active, but lots of people are lots less active. And I think it might be that the kind of the average of that is the same. So I did a quest. I did a Twitter poll the other day on my Twitter thing and uh, Twitter thing. I, had, I think about 2,100 people replied to the poll, and it was about 40%. I just said, Are you more? Do you think you're more active, less active, or the same? And I think about for something like 40 odd percent said they were more active. Something like 32% said they were less active, and 28% or whatever the, the other number is said they are about the same. So I think we're all seeing that and I see it, you know, we go out every day and we see families together and it's wonderful. And clearly lots of people are much more active, but I think lots of people are much less active. So my gut feeling is that's balancing out. Probably my worry is it's disproportionately impacting those most in need in physical activity. So we're all, you know, I'm wandering around the lovely town of Harrogate, looking at all the families having a great time and thinking oh, isn't everybody more active yeah but we're you know and it's an affluent town with affluent people who can work from home and probably only need one one income and they've got a garden they've got beautiful parks and that's not representative of the country and when we look at uh, and we we are going to start to do some work in this in, in, in part one in, insight into this in terms of the regionality of it mm. I, I worry that the, the those most in need of physical activity will be negatively impacted by it. And I worry that, for example, you know, we believe people's part run journey might often start a year or two or three years before their first part run. It might be three years between them their friends saying, Why don't you come to part run? And them Mm. plucking up the courage to do it. And, And you know, we have endless stories of people training in the dark because they don't want people to see them and so on. And it takes years to get to that stage. You know, for the likes of you guys and me, it's 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 not a particularly intimidating thing to go and do a 5K, but for many, many people, those most in need, it's an incredibly intimidating thing to do. We Some of the things we talk about with our health and wellbeing team is, is it going to set those people back? Those people, they might have done their first part run the day we locked down or the last day we operated. Does it set them back three years? Does it Once we come back, do they take three years to, to go? Do they get back to square one of their entire part run journey or not? And so we... we We worry about that a lot and we've celebrated that every single year in the history of park run for 15 years, our average finish time has got slower. Mm. So it started, I think the average finish time, I think was 21 or 22 minutes in 2004, the average finish time. And now I think it's about 30 or 31 and every single consecutive year it has got slower and we celebrate that because that means we're being more inclusive. We're engaging more walkers. We're engaging more people who need physical activity. Mm. I, I really worry that day one back, the average finish time is going to be back to 25 minutes because actually the habitual exercises, the fit, healthy people of the world are going to be chomping at the bit and the people with the weakest exercise, physical activity habit are going to be set back in multiple years. And, and so that, that worries me quite a lot.
0: Yeah, okay. It's interesting that you look at that in, in years. That's, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that's probably true for people no matter their Level of fitness that you everyone knows about it, and it probably takes you a little bit time to get there, and then you're hooked. You know Uh, what the reality the reality is,
2: I guess that it's easier to social distance through walking probably than it is through running. So Mm. perhaps that might might have an impact. Look,
1: and I think the other point on that is that the world is changing as we said earlier so quickly Mm. that Mm. if let's say on Sunday Boris Johnson says, and this will have come out by now, but let's say Boris Johnson said on Sunday. That-
2: can you do a Boris Johnson impression for us, Tom? I mean, No. That would, that would, if, you could, if you can quote exactly what he's going to say on Sunday and then we put that out, that will be absolute <laughs> That'd gold. That would be amazing,
1: dust. should we guess? I, all I hope is he sends the schools back, but we'll, we'll see. But, um, the, uh, for multiple reasons. The, I, I think if Boris Johnson said on Sunday, okay, physical activity outside is really, really important. We're going to open everything up. Actually, we believe part run, and, and I'm obviously making this up, we yeah. believe part run is super important. We believe Park Run's safe. You should all go to Park Run on Saturday. Please believe it's safe. So let's say you have this chief medical officer saying, you should do it, you should do it, you should do it. You would still probably get 5 or 10% turnout compared to normal because at this point in time, the general public are are en masse very, very anxious. That anxiety is going Down day by day, I would have I think, looking at the Office of National Statistics Statistics, it's going down down by day by day as a population across the population, excepting that some people are obviously getting more anxious day by day. But as a population, it's going down. So if we were to start in in August, we might get more people turning up, and October, more people. And once kids are playing football and rugby and tag, more people. And so when we look at and we we genuinely don't know when we're going to reopen. But when we look at that, are we going to be overwhelmed? I think that there are multiple factors that would feed into society's willingness to engage in physical activity of, of the type of park run or, you know, next year's London Marathon, you know, be really, really interesting. You know, who's, some people would do one this Saturday. So if, some people would say if London Marathon was this Saturday and there was 45,000 people, big crowds, some people would say, sign me up, I'm in. And some people in 10 years time would still say, I'm not going to go in a crowd. And, and that, that's not a criticism or a, a, of either person. But I think that rapidly changing public perception of what it means to be in a crowd, shake hands. It's going to be weird. When you, know, yeah. you shake someone's hand, you know? And,
2: exactly. Yeah. Even when you see it on the TV, you know, you're
1: watching a movie or you're watching anything at the moment. It just
2: feels yeah. an, an air of, you feel uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, yeah. And some people can't wait to get it back, right? So some people can't wait to see their friend and give them a hug or a handshake. And some people are terrified at the thought. And again, I'm not criticizing anybody about that. You're pointing at James. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's where we are. It it
2: it, it is and a say, lot a lot of this is unknowns isn't it? I think that's it is con- constant yes. speculation which is is it's good t- to take on. Sorry James. I
0: tell you what is good during a lockdown. And that is a podcast. So yes. where did you meet Martin?
1: Did you beat him at over three miles? No, I don't think. The only thing I could ever beat Martin at would be swimming, I think. <laughs> um, Does he still use armbands? He should do if he doesn't. <laughs> so he is a nice story, actually. So I, I was training for my first Ironman, which is Ironman Austria, in August 2006, was was uh, was it August, July, whenever it was, summer 2006. I was doing my first Ironman, and Martin and I—I I didn't know Martin, but I knew of him because he, he's you know he's a well-known athlete, and his wife is an incredibly well-known athlete, Liz, as a as a double Olympian. Oh, well, she wasn't a double Olympian at the time, but she'd have been an Olympian at the time, 2004. And his sister, you know, European cross-country champion. And so the kind of the yelling name was quite well known, and and Martin was reasonably well known, so I knew of him, and we actually had a mutual friend. He had said, when he knew I was going to Austria, he'd said, oh, my friend Martin Yelling's going to Austria. You guys should, should hook up. You'd, you know, you'd get on and all that kind of stuff. And we didn't actually do anything about it. And we're in, we're in hotels. Helen and I, my wife and I, turn up at the hotel in, in Klagenfurt in Austria about four days before the race or something. And there's this bloke in the hotel, like bandaged up, crutches, can barely walk grazed all over obviously been in a horrendous accident and we looked at him uh, Helen and i looked at him and thought cool i hope he's not doing the iron man he looks broken like something terrible has happened to him recently and uh we looked he's been down out a few
0: beers with kenneth That's what i happened. think he had been out
1: with for a <laughs> few beers with kenneth and we looked down and he had an athlete wristband on which you get when you kind of you go and you sign up for your number and we thought oh my god he's doing the Iron Man. I mean, he can barely walk. I mean, really barely walk. He is broken. Almost like a comedy. He could have been a full body cast. <laughs> you <know>? And uh <laughs> it turned out it was Martin. So we, you know, we got chatting in the same hotel. Oh, yeah, you're doing the race, obviously. Yeah, you don't looking all right. Are you all right? And it turned out it was Martin, and he'd been in incredible shape and about a week. 10 days maybe before Ironman Austria in 2006, he'd been at a roundabout about to come onto the, on his bike, about to go onto the roundabout and a car had just gone straight through the back of him. So it just literally driven through him from behind. He didn't even know. And he, and I'd smashed him to pieces and he'd end up in hospital. And Martin being Martin, he, he was like, well, I'm still going to do the race. <laughs> Looking at him thinking you're mad. And he did it. And he beat me by two hours. He did nine hours and eight minutes and gave me an absolute, shooing he might have even beaten me in the swim then although I, I in over time over the years I managed to get the better of him in the swim yeah incredible and you know to think it's a shame really because he was in such incredible shape I think he would have gone well below nine hours had he not been clattered by a car and that that ended up being the best shape I think he was probably ever in and he later qualified for Hawaii Ironman and did Hawaii but I think and so that so we kind of bonded over that week where we got on really well and there was this obviously the funny not funny story about him being clattered by a car um, and still doing really well and we just kept in touch really and and one we'd always thought we'd probably do something together he was at Loughborough I think at the time He was working in the academic department maybe at Loughborough I can't remember but they, him and Liz were in Loughborough and we'd always kept in touch and we'd train a bit together and he coached my wife a little bit and we did more iron so we were off to Ironman Switzerland we all did Ironman Switzerland together and we did stuff and we we're good friends and then one day in in back end of 2009 he just rang me up out of the blue and said, do you want to do a podcast? Which is odd because he never listened to them ever. And I listened to them like five a day. <laughs> I was this podcast <laughs> nutter, I loved them. And he didn't, He did, but for some reason, it was definitely his idea, not mine. There's um, a pattern, I'm definitely a follower. And yeah, he said, do you want to do a podcast? And so we thought, yeah, what a great thing. And then, you know, the, the podcast community is so wonderful. I was listening to a podcast uh, religiously at a time called Iron Man Talk, now called IM Talk. And they're up to episode 900 or something. I like think Bevan and John, two Kiwis who did this podcast about Ironman triathlon. And so we just dropped them a note in 2009 and said, you guys are doing podcast, would you give us some advice? And we had like a three hour Skype with Bevan, which was like, I was like starstruck. I'd been listening to him on every bike ride for the previous five years, or three years, or whatever it was. Suddenly I'm Skyping him. And he's been so generous, do this, do this, get this mic, download this software. Here's some ideas. He helped us come up with a sort of the concept of marathon talk rather so sort of focused and yeah, and so that was it January twenty ten we launched and it's been amazing ever ever since it's just been a fun thing, and you know we just do it for fun, we don't get anything from it but it but it um it's just a good fun thing to do, and to go back to that point from the beginning, it's amazing how many good things happen. When you don 't start with a grand plan and a grand strategy and an, and an exit strategy or a retirement plan, you just go, this will be a really good thing to do right now, and for no other reason than that, which is what Paul did in two thousand and four with when he started bushy part time trial. This would be a really good thing to do right now, and for no other reason i 'm going to do it, and i 'm not going to put any preconceptions on what it might be one day or what it might become i 'm just going to do it because it 's fun, and the day it 's not fun i 'll stop, and yeah. if it never stops being fun i 'll do it forever. And and who knows and and yeah the rest is history
2: and that's you know and I think I heard you mention maybe refer to that story probably on a podcast somewhere <laughs> um, but you know I really connected it because James and I obviously started this two years ago
0: we we, knew we met at an Ironman Championships didn't we, <laughs> Did we <were> very... you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: who I've won that well. One?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you know,
2: and, and as you say, we can connect with so so much of what you're what you're talking about because mm-hmm. I think it's just a, a fun experience. And obviously, people always say to us, you know, what, what why would you do it? Like, you know, what, what, are you trying to get sponsors or whatever? And people kind of come and torture and say, oh, mm-hmm. you know, we'd like to sponsor. You. You've got a bit of an, a bit of an audience. I mean, nowhere near as much as you guys, but you know, you're starting to get it going. And we're like, no, it's not about that. Like, we just no. enjoy having the time to have a conversation with a mate who's now becoming. A bit of a better mate, and yeah. you know people like yourself who have got really interesting stories to tell, and 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 hopefully other people in, enjoy listening to it and, and get something but from it. It, it and gives it's-
1: you a reason, doesn't it, to have a conversation with somebody you never would have had a conversation with before, which and to share that conversation. Which mm-hmm. is, I mean, this week has been the anniversary of the four minute mile, and probably my favourite interview I've ever been involved in was when I interviewed Chris chataway mm-hmm. and the. Talking about Chris, talking about the four minute mile and multiple other things. I mean, that wasn't actually even his highlight of the year, oddly. <laughs> um, and he won Sports Personality of the Year that year, by the way, even not Bannister, who broke the four minutes of the mile. Chataway won Sports Personality, first ever winner. Wow. Um, he'd beaten Vladimir Kutz in a kind of head to head over 5,000 meters at White City, I think, later in the year, which was considered a bigger achievement at the time. And it, it was fascinating. And I remember th- pinching myself thinking, I can't believe how lucky I am. Like if, if I do nothing else in the, in the the whole of marathon talk, the hundreds and thousands and thousands of hours of time we put into it, just speaking to Chris Chatway for an hour about the details of his year. We kind of talked through the year of 1954 from his eyes. You just think that's such a privilege and to be able to share it is so, so great, you know, and, and to have the conversation with Martin, you know, so, He's become a really great mate. We've spoken an hour a week for 10 years. <laughs> um, had kids, moved houses, been on holiday, everything you can imagine. That—that's The value is entirely there, isn't it? The value, at the risk of sounding cheesy, the value is entirely in those 100%. human things. I couldn't give a thing about whether it made money or not or made someone famous or not. It's just that that pure joy of speaking of having a normal conversation right just a normal chat.
2: exactly i was just looking at james pinching himself there interviewing tom williams on the Good
1: podcast. <laughs> I never like, thought,
0: it's not getting any higher than I this, get getting this chance this is it sports personality of the year this year tom. yeah
1: brilliant <laughs> i tell you there's only one sports isn't it isn't it tyson fury isn't he the only one that's done anything <laughs> all year so far that's it <laughs> Dragging that show
0: out over three hours is going to be tough isn't it yeah it's the fun.
1: highlights the highlights of uh of twenty twenty in sports. Belarus, the Belarusian <laughs> League.
0: I watched uh They're I watched have Tony... the um, Ninja Warriors in Kenneth Kenneth's Garden. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna have that feature, <laughs>
2: don't they? I did I did I did the, the, this afternoon I saw on BBC Sport they've even got clips of Tony Bellew against uh Obafai, I think the Southampton oh, yeah. striker playing on FIFA and, and and Tony you know, that's like it's it's got to that stage. It's, that honestly, I mean desperate
1: it's bizarre it's it's the odd it's the oddest thing isn't it that we never the situation we never thought we'd find ourselves in it's just the the craziest thing
2: no absolutely absolutely so just one last question on, on marathon talk talk yeah. Tom what, what's what's the what's the plan I know you you've kind of got some other people that kind of help you you, mm. you with it and that now but I mean people always ask us kind of where do you want it to go and, and maybe you've answered that in in what you've just said that you just keep rolling but is there anything kind of coming up or what, what are you doing over the next i
1: think so there's no real distinct plans and i you know i have relatively little involvement these days so so i present once a month now and i do the odd interview but largely i i'm kind of not particularly involved and i think i think probably we got it was interesting what to around about episode 500 so around about 10 years and it it life changed when we started was Ruby born? I don't think Ruby was born. I think Martin's daughter was born. So I think we had no children when we started. Might have, Ruby might have been teeny tiny, but I think we had no children. We lived in Loughborough and Leeds, and now we live in Bournemouth and, and Harrogate. And I hadn't even – I'd just started Part Run but wasn't working for Part Run. And Martin hadn't started Stormbreak, his charity, and done all these things. And, and so lives are in a totally different place now and I think, you know, actually we've brought Holly Rush has come on board and done loads of stuff, which has been great. Tony Ordenshaw, who's actually been on board from day one, actually, really has been brilliant and does really really funny stuff there. We've got a little volunteer team of who've now great friends who do the editing and the audio, and we've got some other volunteers who do some of the uh, social media and stuff. But I think I think probably if I'm being really really open about it at the minute it's kind of floating along and I wouldn't know where it's going to go. And I think we're all committed to continuing it because we we're great mates. We've got a great little WhatsApp group with lots of fun stuff in it, but actually running, I mean, you're, you're at the forefront of this. Running has changed to a different space over the last 10 years. And actually a lot of our really, really exciting stuff hasn't been the, the Haile Gebrie Selassie or the Paula Radcliffe or the Mo Farah interviews. It's been the regular people doing regular things and, and often not necessarily within running. Often it's been non-running things. You know, I interviewed Giles Long the other day, Paralympic swimmer about his story, incredible story and a great guy, you know, so so I think where we started we were very much focused on running we had the running news we had Sammy Wanjiru interview and things like that real kind of scoops in the early days I think these days are a bit broader so we're probably I'd say we're probably fiddling with it a little bit to get it to the point where we really really enjoy it and it finds it I don't think it'll go anywhere but I think it'll morph into maybe slightly different things as we all grow up in the world and
2: I was going to say, it looks like you've got your, your, your Joe Rogan type studio behind you. Maybe, you know, you can become
1: the next Joe Rogan. Oh, you know what? I would <laughs> love... I would. I mean, he has the greatest life, doesn't he? Doesn't like, he? Uh, to be able to say to people... And I love that his interviews are like two or three hours. Yeah, and a, a number of his interviews have totally changed my life with some incredible characters. I, I would love to be able to just get people to come and sit down and spend three hours sat down here and just chat about stuff and i think that one of the nice things about podcasts is it's it's kind of a return to long form type things like you know we've got to the point where everything was 30 seconds 20 seconds 90 seconds here you know i've i'm sure you've been on the radio i've been on the radio i've been on the breakfast show a couple of times i've been on bbc breakfast on the part one's 15th birthday and it's 30 seconds it's 45 seconds to be able to sit down and have a a non-time limited conversation about something in depth is a it's a genuine joy isn't it and Mm. and i'd love to be able to do that with multiple people
2: well look i mean we could we could sit here and, and and chat all evenings you know, but I'm, I think my wife's cooking dinner in the background again. She's, yeah, and if, if I miss <laughs> story
1: time with the kids, I'm going to be in masses of trouble.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Tom, look, we'll, we'll start wrapping up. We have got some quick fire questions that we just go. do at the end of each one. Wonderful. Jimbo,
0: yeah. do you want to go first? Uh, what is signing cheques on behalf of Pete Maverick Mitchell, which is body can't cash?
1: Oh. It's a Top Gun question. I only realised it was a Top Gun question <laughs> halfway through. <laughs> uh, something I, I remember saying, Uh Tom Cruise's e- Maverick's Ego. Yes! Oh, Top marks. Yes, there Top we go. Top marks.
0: Very good. Very good. <laughs> but if you could transport yourself back to meet your 20 year old self.
1: Oh, OK. Great question. Tell
0: him and why.
1: Oh. I would, take, I would tell him, keep doing what you're doing. Y- you think that if you just always do what's fun, life will turn out well. You're right. Keep doing it, but drink a little bit less. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like it, like yeah.
1: it. Okay, and can you tell us about
2: one life hack or productivity tool, habit or a skill, or something that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um and and I've I've really learned in this lockdown. Actually, I think the the best thing we've done. So people str- People have struggled obviously in lockdown. You're out of your routine. Um, I had quite a routine pre-lockdown, which I'm sure loads of people did. We and but also often we can set ourselves goals that are too high, can't we? And so we have we have said we're going to take the kids for a walk every single day. Now on school days, in inverted commas, that's kind of a little bit longer than around the block, but kind of around the block. And on weekends, it's longer and it's a really simple thing it's relatively easy and it's not easy for everybody to achieve I don't want to people to feel guilty if they can't do that because we're lucky we've got some time and so on but I think the simplicity of picking one thing that you're going to do every day in a certain situation for us it's been we're going to take the kids for a walk every day it's almost every day being all four of us sometimes it's just been me or just been Helen but almost always four of us if you can do something simple like that and really celebrate that simple, you don't have to run twenty miles at seven minute miling, and you don't have to do you know four peloton sessions or whatever it is. Just taking the kids for a walk every day, and we're whatever we are week seven that we've done it every day, and it's been transformational. And I send the kids down. I mean, we have a meeting every morning at part run at seven thirty. We have an hour strategic meeting every single morning. And so I say to the kids, burst the office door down at 8.30 if you want to and drag me out of this meeting. We're committing to this 8.30 in the morning walk. Nice. And it, it's been really simple, really easy, really achievable. But, but you have to celebrate it as, a, as an achievement, not, not belittle it. As well, it was easy and it's achievable and it wasn't very far and so on. Celebrate, choose a little thing and celebrate doing it.
0: Nice. Final question for you. Okay. As a podcast that is focused on people doing more good, Yes. what is your favorite story or individual you've met recently who has done something good for others
1: oh my word what a great what a great question favorite story or individual there's so i'm I'm kind of stalling for time saying there's so many it's hard to choose from <laughs> but there are so many it's hard to choose from and and I'll I don't, I don't want to, so I don't want to, if, if people are listening to this and don't, please don't feel excluded if I've chosen one over another, and this is generally not my favorite. So this, this is one of, it's one you mm-
2: met recently. So we caveat the recently in there. So, you know, you m- makes it a little bit easier.
1: Yeah, I'll be a little bit broad on the recently, but I, but I think, I think this is an example. This is an example of some, some great people doing great things. And I think the thing I respect the most is when people achieve really, really great things, when the odds are against them and they don't have a budget and they don't have massive support and lots of people are saying you can't do it and they still go on and do it and so over the last year we've become a part run we've become really close with uh, lucy gossage and Gemma Hillier moses at 5k your way which is a great like intervention support mechanism for people who've been impacted by cancer in some way They might be oncologists they might be Uh, They might have cancer, they might know someone with cancer, they might have lost someone with cancer, they've just been impacted in some way. And they meet up at a part run event. So 5K Your Ways, little independent groups that meet up uh, locally at part run events once a month as a come on, let's just go to part run and be together. They're such a great example. They've got no budget, no support. Most people would say you couldn't even do it. They're doing it just because it's a good thing to do. And I think they're probably representative of a wider group of people who are also doing great things. But I just think it's the selflessness of doing, what what was it in, in, have you seen Afterlife 2 yet? Yeah, just a lady lady on the the bench that Ricky Gervais sits down with and she says, this isn't a spoiler for anybody who's not seen it, but it's just a statement where she says he's battling with, is he a good person or not? And she says, good people do things for other people and that's it. I really like that. And I think, I think Gemma and Lucy who I, who I knew in my traffic days, actually, but Gemma and Lucy, I think, really embody that. And uh, within the last year or so, is recent enough.
2: Brilliant, thank you Perfect. so much. Tom, thank you, guys. We'll wrap it up it's there. Been, it's um, been an absolute honour. No, you. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. thank you very much. It's been amazing, Tom. If anyone wants to find you, where will they go? other than marathon talking. Uh, i will
1: normally be ranting on Twitter about something or other. Tom Williams, 1974. You yeah, can if, you're
2: not, if you're not following him, you're missing out. There's some <laughs> absolute genius on there. Um, <laughs> take care of yourself. Thank you so much. And James, will catch up soon.
0: Any final yeah. thoughts, Jamesbo? I have, ever since the beginning of this episode, I have had the hankering for the most expensive bag of crisps I can find. Oh, don't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, go and, go and find them. Going right. I just wanted to mention one, one quick thing before we wrap it up. I, saw, I come across something this week called Furlontier, which is all about the amount of people that are being furloughed at the moment. This has a very limited shelf life and obviously what happens in, on Sunday could impact this. But you know, there's a lot of a brilliant, amazing people there out at the moment who are at home, can't work for their charity or organisation and are willing to, to do something for others. So I just came across this this week, furlontier.com where if you've got some skills and you want to give back to a charity or a not-for-profit cause, yeah, please check that out. Wonderful. That's it. Yeah, some great people doing great things. Tom, thanks so much, guys. We'll see you thanks, soon. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you Bye. Thank you. Take care. So, James, just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's
0: all right, wasn't it? <laughs> if anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth at Do More Good Pod, Instagram at Do More Good Pod. have we gone multi-channel and even gone to YouTube? We have but you can find all those videos on the website domoregood.uk and if you want to contact us by email please
1: use contact at domoregood.uk